As we conclude our study of 2 Thessalonians, uh, we'll just re uh, reemphasize to you kind of what was going on in, in this church that Paul founded. Um, they had theological issues, and the, one of the main issues had to deal with eschatology. You should know what the word eschatology means at this point of your life, right? Uh, it means what? Study of the end times. That's what these two books are about. Paul had taught these new Christians much about the coming of Christ. Uh, and then the false teachers had infiltrated the church and confused the people into thinking uh, that they were actually uh, heading into the tribulation. Uh, and they were worried that, uh, you know, deceased loved ones that knew Jesus were going to miss the coming of Jesus, etc. And so Paul has spent much time in these two letters uh, consoling them, re-educating them uh, concerning the fact that the church is going to be raptured uh, from that time of wrath. Uh, he was very clear on that in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, when we got into 2 Thessalonians, we understand that the church is uh, inhabited by the Spirit, and the Spirit will be removed, as it were, when the rapture happens, because God will deal with Israel again. Uh, we'll be in the heavenlies uh, for seven years, and we will come back with Christ at the end of that period. And so he has taken through them through all of that. You should have this grid firmly in your head as to what happens when, do you? Do you remember your name, who you are, and can you find your car in the parking lot? Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's kind of what's going on. So when you get to chapter uh, two of the, of the book, uh, he's addressing more issues in the church. And he's also uh, beginning in chapter two to tell them, uh, when you live in chaotic times that precede the, sec the, the coming of the Christ, the rapture and the second coming, when you precede that time, how should you live? Uh, and it doesn't take much to look at a given week. Uh, it's like, how can the week be more chaotic? When you look back at last week, you could just cherry pick multiple issues that happened uh, personally, geopolitically and say, the world is upside down. It is unbelievably brutal, chaotic. Where is it going? What happened to my nation? I mean, you can have all kinds of observations. But Paul says to Christians, uh, stay the course. You are salt uh, and light to the culture. Uh, and let me explain to you how you should live in tough times. So that's chapter two and that's chapter three. But when you get to chapter three, uh, uh, he begins to be more specific about practically what should Christians be doing. So we'll review from last Sunday. I will, I'll, I'll assume you were all new and weren't here last week. What did we talk about last week? He said, well, uh, let me give you two ideas what Christians should be doing before Jesus appears. Uh, number one, be people of prayer. And verses one and two, he told you who to pray for specifically. Do you remember? See, you were in church last week, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, pray for your pastors. Your, your spiritual leaders are the tip of the spear. So if the devil could get anybody, he'd get your leaders because then he can get the sheep. Uh, such is how it goes. So be, be in prayer for your pastors. Um, number two, uh, he said, be people of progress, spiritually speaking, that uh, grow in your love for Christ by obeying Christ. Because Jesus said, it's pretty simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so you, uh, if you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. So today he's going to add one more point. So I, I apologize um, if you're a Dallas Seminary student here and they're teaching you three-point sermons and all that kind of stuff. Realize now, pragmatically, that does not always happen. Okay? So I'm going to shatter your homiletical world. Uh, it's a one-point sermon. Uh, he just gives you one idea in these, in these verses. Uh, he's going to tell you to be people of performance. Uh, and, and he's going to tell you to perform in a certain area that is really interesting. When I studied how Paul ends this letter, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, every church has uh, issues in it. Uh, if there are no issues, we're in heaven, right? 
Uh, and so churches have issues. No church is perfect. This is a great church, healthy church. But uh, every church has uh, doctrinal issues that are tension, in tension with each other. We're not all on the same page. Our elder council, we're not all on the same theological page. We are about the things that matter most. But some of the secondary issues, uh, we, we, we debate and discuss, and we still are brothers in Christ. Um, but sometimes there's like issues in churches. And so Paul's addressing an issue here in this particular church, uh, and he's, he's, he's going to address an, an issue concerning Christians in the church who don't serve. They're, they're what I would call sappers. You know what a sapper is? They just kind of sap off things. Uh, they're not servers. Now, I, I, I've been accused of speaking too fast. Is, it, is that viable? Yeah, it's like, I'm trying to keep up with the guy. Uh, I have a lot of stuff to say, but I'm going to slow down for this one. <laughs> what did he talk about? Sappers who are not servers. All right. So you got to ask yourself, am I a sapper? And it, to help you understand uh, your place in the body of Christ, I have a number of questions I'll be asking today. And, and if this is you, then we'll tell you what you need to do. And if you're not that, you're a hard server, working hard for the Lord, then praise God to you. May your tribe increase. Um, you could, you could understand, because a sapper, what is a sapper? Person who, well, they're not really working. They sound like they're working, but they're not really working. Uh, when I played baseball in high school, we had a shortstop. I won't say his name because he's probably still alive. And he, and he might be watching this. Who knows? Some of my friends do. But, but when he, he thought he was the fastest guy on the team. But when he, would hit, when he would get on base, he could run from second to third when he should score on a drive. You should score from second on a line drive to the outfield. He would make it to third. But he thought he was the fastest guy on the team. And we would sit on the bench watching him run. It's like, it's all motion in one spot and no forward motion. <laughs> dirt would be flying. His shirt's coming untucked. Cleats are digging into the dirt. And it's like, he ain't moving. That's kind of like a sapper, okay? We'll just get that image in your head, okay? So in, in, that's all I could think about was this guy this week. It's like, yeah, I've seen some personers like that. Lots of motion. They're not producing much. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 11 to 12, Paul talks about sappers that need to be servers. Uh, in the first letter, chapter five, verse 14, he addressed them there as well. Sometimes to be a pastor, you have to do unpleasant things. It means you have to address sin and you have to call a Christian to grow up. Uh, those are difficult conversations, but if you love somebody, you'll have those kind of conversations. And so Paul had these conversations with this church that he founded to tell him, a whole lot of you are working hard, but there's some that aren't. So verse six, what does he say? He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life. And not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Translated, we showed you what hard work was all about, as we're going to talk about in just a minute. But I'm going to give you a word of command. If you know somebody who is a what? A sapper. What's his counsel to you as a Christian? Can you read it? You're trying to, yeah, keep away. Keep aloof. Keep away. Keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life. So it's a command. And it is not from Paul. It's from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you this before. I'll tell you it again. The word uh, kurios that he uses here, Lord is the exact word using the LXX, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Um, it is the exact word to describe Jehovah God. So who does he, who's he saying Jesus is? Jehovah God. So he's telling you, God himself is telling you, you need to be a worker bee. 
Not, not someone who's like mooching off of other people. So he says, uh, what should you do? You should keep aloof from them. So keep aloof is an imperative in the Greek text. Uh, it is a, is a present tense verb, meaning you should continually do this as a lifestyle. Um, the word that he uses for keep aloof is the word stello, like Stella, the name of uh, some people and women. Uh, this is stello. Uh, this means to literally take a precaution around somebody or to purposefully steer course around them. Why? Well, because, because their example is not, it's not a godly example. So you have to ask yourself, um, who are you supposed not to be best buddies with? Uh, somebody who he says is unruly. Well, what does it mean to be unruly? The Greek word ataktos means uh, to not follow the orders of a commanding officer. It was a Greek military term. So this is a great church to understand what this means. When I was out on the West Coast, if I talked about this term, many, many would be looking at me going, what are we, what are we talking about? Uh, military totally get it. So you probably learn in boot camp as a guy screaming in your face that whatever he says, that's what you do, right? Imagine if you told the DI, I ain't doing those push-ups. You show me how to do it if you're a man. How, how, how would this go for you? Not well, you know. Uh, one of my friends uh, was a DI at, at, at uh, Camp Pendleton. Uh, very intimidating figure, you know, shaved head, square jaw, probably 235 pounds, just a big, beefy guy. Uh, you know, I would never, I could never see myself telling him, I, I ain't doing that. Uh, so Paul says, if you know somebody who's unruly, it's the person who, when pastoral staff says to do something and they're like, not doing that, mm -mm. I'm not doing that, you know? Uh, uh, well, that's what the pastoral staff says, says that we're doing. No, no. It, well, the word of God says you should do this. Well, I'm not doing that either because I don't, I don't want to do that. that. That's somebody who's unruly. They will not follow an order. Uh, do, do you know anybody like that? He, he says, uh, don't follow somebody who leads an unruly life. Now, the word for living an unruly way uh, is the word uh, peripateo in Greek, which means to walk around. Uh, and it's a present tense uh, verb, which means they continue, continually just walk around and never produce anything. And so he says, don't, don't really become best friends with somebody who's not doing anything to advance the kingdom of God. And we'll get into more as to what he means by that in just a minute. But do you know anybody like that? You're serving hard and they're hardly serving. And I can tell you how it goes. You serve hard and they don't serve. They will be the first ones to critique you. Trust me. Why are you so quiet now all of a sudden? So, yeah, you have seen these kind of people. So why does Paul counsel us to steer clear of these types of Christians? Um, let me give you some ideas. Number one, they will wear you out. They will wear you out. You're working, they're not working. They will wear you out. Uh, number two, they're gonna discourage you because they're really great at critiquing you. You know, the Holy Spirit has told me, huh? Uh, I've had this before. Um, well, why didn't he tell me that? Uh, number three, uh, their laziness will tempt you to be lazy because you can just throw in the towel. I am so tired of pulling all the load around here and they're not doing anything. I'm just gonna join them. It's a temptation. And number four, when you keep aloof from somebody uh, that you were formerly friends with because you realize they're a sapper, not a server. Uh, if you keep aloof from them, they're alone and that might give them some time to think about themselves and how they need to get their act together. So it has a positive benefit. So I have to ask you a personal question. Do you have a saint in your life right now who's a sapper, like a leech, like sucking the life out of you? Uh, I've run into them before. And Paul says, uh, you need to admonish them. Now the word for admonishment, um, 
nuthateo uh, is the Greek word. Uh, here's the lexical definition. It means, quote, offering counsel and instruction for avoidance or cessation of an appropriate conduct, inappropriate conduct. It means, according to Romans 15, 7, where it's a command to admonish Christians, if they're living like that, you love them enough to go, yeah, hey, brother, you know, I've kind of noticed uh, anytime we have sign-ups for the fall festival, you ain't around. You're there eating all the hot dogs and everything, but... <laughs> You're not serving, you know, and you're always complaining about why didn't we do this? And why do we have more bouncy houses? And, you know, I just got to kind of get in your grill and go, not cool. Um, so you love them enough to tell them that's not good. But Paul set the pace for what it means to work hard. Verse seven, what does he say? He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not, the pastoral team, did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. We didn't mooch off anybody, he says. Uh, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we don't have the right to do this, because you, you can pay the pastor, you know this, to, to work. You know I get paid, I don't do this for free. You, you know this. I've had a lot of people ask me, how do they pay you there? Yeah, a lot of non-Christians, they don't understand it. And uh, so Paul says, I, I, I have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. So twice he said, we set the work ethic so you'd follow our example of hard work. That's what a Christian that's maturing, it looks like. They work hard. And so Paul says, that, that's what we were like. So Paul arrives in Thessalonica. It's a port city. What is his occupation other than being a, an evangelist and a missionary? He's a tent maker. He's in a port where there are boats. What are the boats used for propulsion? Sales. There are sales everywhere. There's probably people coming into the port with all kinds of tents they're using to travel the Via Ignatian Highway the Romans built. And so Paul's like, as the military would say, target rich environment for a tent maker, right? And so he's sitting there working hard. So he's, he's planting this church. He's preaching, teaching, I'm sure counseling, etc. And then he's also, when he's got free time, Mending sails, mending tents, building, you know, making tents, etc. all that. And when he didn't have to, he could have said to the new church, hey, you need to support me. He said, I could have done that, but I, but I didn't because I wanted to show you what hard work was like. So uh, if you are a leader in our church, consider Paul's example. Because leaders are really great that, okay, so in our church, it takes, I think right now it's around 110 uh, people to run the children's program on a Sunday morning. That's a lot of people. That's not even counting all the other departments, but just 110. So a leader is supposed to, that you got spots that are open and you're supposed to find people to serve in those positions. And we have many people serve and make our ministry great. But that's not the only thing that leaders should be known for. Occasionally a leader has to drive the forklift as it were, right? Uh, were you at the fall festival? There was 2,500 people there. Were you, were you at the fall festival? Yeah, did you serve? Yes, yeah, uh, it was fun serving. I mean, when I got that little clicker or the slide I was on and the, it, the clicker said, they told me your job tonight is to count the kids. <laughs> really? Uh, I can't parse a verb, tell you what a participle means. Okay, great. Uh, so my little clicker said 400, 450 kids on it. When I was done, there was 1,116 on that clicker. I, said, I couldn't believe how many kids were coming down that slide. So, so if you're a leader, sometimes you've got to drive the forklift, which means you got to serve. You got to serve because uh, if they see you serving and doing something, they're like, whoa, you know, well, I, I need to be doing the same thing. So Paul says, uh, you know, by his example, follow my example uh, because he got down and, and got dirty. So verse 10, 
Uh, he's adamant that believers uh, serve instead of soaking. Uh, he makes this eye-popping statement in verse 10. I mean, this is like jaw-dropping. Think of, think of our government used this as a pretext for giving out money to people. Did you eat it yet? <laughs> Could you imagine? For even when we were with you, we used to give you this suggestion. Order. What's the order? What it, if you're sitting at Paul's church, okay, what's the order Paul gave? Yeah, we all know it. We can all sing it. He put it to a song, you know, yeah. It, if anyone will not work, you ain't going to Chick-fil-A. I ain't paying for it. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Now, wow, you read that and you're like, man, Paul was tough. Um, don't those words kind of make your eyes kind of pop out and spin like in a cartoon? Like, whoa, it's amazing. So what did he not say? Well, there are, there are times when people need help, right? Like they just came home from surgery. They need some food. They can't be at work for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple months. Our church is great at serving meals, people going by and helping, etc. I mean, sometimes you have to do that kind of stuff. And our church is great at doing that. We have a very uh, handsomely funded benevolent fund that we, we bless people all the time as a pastoral staff, caring for people's needs, etc. But it's paying attention to... Are they, is it a real need or are they a professional sapper? I'm serious. Part of being on pastoral staff is you are part detective. They never taught us that in seminary, but you have to ask a lot of questions because you have to, what did Paul say? If they have a habit of not working and just move from church to church, well, they shouldn't, you shouldn't be enabling them. Uh, in my first pastorate, I could give you examples all day. In my first pastor, I had a very interesting uh, family. Let's just say the, the whole family, the family line was like this. Uh, but the, they, uh, we had helped them more than anybody in the entire church. Uh, they, were, they were not servers, they were sappers. How did I know that? It took me a few years to kind of wrap my mind around it. But so we're giving all this money to them, trying to help them. They're always, they always need more money and stuff like that. And so one, after years of doing that, uh, me and two other elders drove out into the country to their mobile home uh, to help them with some more financing. So we get out there. I'd never been to their house like that before. And so we drove out to their house in the middle of nowhere and uh, pulled up and got out. And I, uh, I'm a human being. I'm going to make observations. Aren't you? You know? And so I, I walk into the house and the first thing I see to my right is a giant, I'm talking giant, like five feet across by four or five feet high, a giant glass cage with a massive lizard in it. And he's on a huge log and there's big lights on him and everything. And I'm like, if you were me, what would you be thinking? Um, here was my first question. What's that thing eat? <laughs> How do you provide for that? If we're trying to provide for you, what's up with the 45 pound the lizard. He's like, man, you cannot believe the special food that lizard eats. We have the special order of that stuff, blah, blah. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just standing in the doorway, making an observation about a lizard. Then I turn to my left and I see a TV larger than anything I have ever seen before. It takes up a wall. Now this is back in the day. I mean, now you have an 80 inch TV. It's like, this is how we roll. I mean, but, but back then, remember the TVs that projected the image with the big, that kind of TV? Massive. That was like the cool TV. I'm looking at this going, whoa. I mean, I got like a 20 inch at my house. I mean, this thing's like half your living room. So I'm thinking, if you're me, what are you thinking? What's up with the, where'd you get the money for all of that? And then I looked into the kitchen and there's no dining table. And in the kitchen is a giant. Now the guy I'm talking to, he's like 6'4", like 270 pounds. And 
I'm talking to him. And so in the kitchen, there's no table. There's a giant tricycle, huge, in the kitchen that's being welded together and stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. And so I asked him, like you would, hey, what's up with the giant tricycle? And the guy tells me, oh, I've always loved trikes. I'm like, you're a grown man. Like, what's up with the tricycle? I love them. So I'm building one in the kitchen. Wife doesn't mind. I'm like, my wife would. So, so the whole time I'm in there, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, how much does it cost to build this custom tricycle? Huh? And you live in the country. There's no sidewalks. Where are you going to, I mean, I'm thinking logically. And then we get in the car, we're driving home. And one of the elders tells me this. He goes, you know, Martin, some people, you could give them $25,000 on the spot. And next week they would still need more money from the church. And we realized at that point, they were not servers. They were sappers. We discontinued church assistance. And guess what happened? I mean, are you a prophet? <laughs> Prophesy. What, what happened to that family? They left in a huff. That's just not a loving church. I'm like, serious? So what does Paul say? If they will not work, eh, that was a lifestyle, then they should not eat. Verse 11, uh, he says, we hear that some of you are leading an undisciplined life. Doing no work at all. And what are you? You're acting like a... Did I tell you how he ends this letter? It's really interesting. Before Jesus appears, what should you be doing? Working in, at your job and in your house and at church. You should be known as a worker. And, and that's how you want Jesus to come back. Um, you don't want Jesus to come back and go, hey, you have been floating. Let's, we need to talk. Uh, and so when you look at this, he says that if somebody's leading an undisciplined life and not working, some of you are, well, you act like you're working, but you're not. You're really a busybody. So what is a busybody? It's a really long Greek word. Uh, in some foreign languages like German, they staple words together. And if you don't believe me, just look at a German dictionary. They do. Uh, and they do the same thing in Greek. So they want to make something really amazing word. They start stapling words together. And I told you this before. I'll tell you again. They take prepositions and they wed them to words. So he took the word to work and he wedded the preposition peri in front of it, which means to work around. But it's a present tense verb, meaning all they do is work around you doing mundane stuff that doesn't mean anything. They don't, they're not producing anything. And so he says, they're really like a busybody. Um, what is a busybody? It, sometimes it helps if you take a, a thesaurus and you look for like, what's the synonym or what's an antonym, that, that, that type of thing. So what's a busybody? Here's some of the uh, synonyms. Eavesdropper, troublemaker, mischief maker, interferer. You got to think about this. If you've never met a busybody, uh, pay attention because this is, this is how they roll. They're the kind of person that gets close to you and they seem to be so compassionate and loving, but they are an information gathering machine. Have you met them? You're laughing like you know them. Yeah, but she's sitting right next to me. I hope not, but they gather information. Why? They want to use it against you later. They're like a gossip. So a gossip is like a busybody, always going around. Oh, praise God, praise God, hallelujah. Did you hear about sister <laughs> Sheila over here? Like serious, really, that happened in her life? So they take the information that they hear and then they repackage it so they cast you in a negative light. So you have to ask yourself, is, is that me? Is that me? Am I a busybody? Uh, busy doing a bunch of nothing. And they, uh, they are usually unwelcomed in your life and you didn't invite them in. And they are great at giving you wisdom and counsel that you never asked for. 
That's a busybody. So I have some questions for people that could be potential busybodies. Are you ready? Okay, you, you are? I'm hearing nothing from upstairs. You guys <laughs> having a meditative moment listening to God? So here's some busybody questions. Number one, next time you start to involve yourself in a situation that you're not part of, ask yourself, is this, I'm saying it slow, is this really my business? Did you hear me? Next time you start to horn in on something that's got nothing to do with you, what's the question? Is this any of my business? And if the answer is, well, not really, then move along, okay? I have 800 more questions. Number two, <laughs> when you're working around other people, do you find yourself asking some very inappropriate personal questions of those people? Because if you are, you are probably a busybody because that's what they do. They ask questions like, Whoa, I can't believe they're asking me that. That's what a busybody does. Uh, do, this, I've seen this one in action for years. Do you place things on prayer lists that have got nothing? They should not be on there. Well, you know, I heard from Sister Sheila over here about her husband, Larry, and some things going on in his life at the office and blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, prayer request. <laughs> have you seen this happen? That's a busybody. Um, you have to ask yourself, you're going to really help somebody. Is love your motivation? Is love your motivation or is control your motivation? Because that's how they work. Um, if you are a mother-in-law, none here. Yeah. If you are a mother-in-law or a father-in-law and you have children that are married, do you find yourself asking your daughter-in-law or son-in-law lots of questions all the time to gather information on them, to pass it around the, the rest of the family in a negative light? Trust me, I have seen this happen firsthand. It's an ugly thing. Uh, and then you're passive aggressive when you're admonished. I never meant that. That's not what I meant. Uh, that's what you meant. Are you a busybody? If you're a busybody, what should you do? Paul says in verse 12, he tells you exactly what you should do. It's pretty simple. Now, such persons we command, it's not a suggestion, and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? To work in a quiet fashion, number one, and... Now, if you had to put that in your own words, what did he just tell you? What, what did he just tell you? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Because if you don't mind your own business, this, this drags on the church and creates disunity in the church. And Paul's all about church unity. So it's interesting. He says, you know, before the Lord comes back, make sure that you're a server, not a sapper. Verse 13, he says, but as for you, brethren, to the ones that are servers, don't grow weary of doing good. Why, why does he throw that in? He said, well, I need to talk to you who are really working hard in the church. Um, don't, don't be weary in, in, in doing good. Why does he throw that in? Because it, you can get weary doing good. You're sitting in traffic, right? Someone wants to get into traffic, but they're on a side street and you're in the main road, total control. And you're thinking, too bad for them. They're gonna be late for work. And you just nudge forward as close to the bumper of the car in front of you as you possibly can as a Christian. And you just wave at the person. No. So, I mean, think about this pragmatically. Is that Christian? No. What should the Christian do? Tap your brake. Tap your brake. Because I've been in that situation before, trying to get into traffic to come to work, car after car after car after car after car goes by. You know, and, or, you know, and then you, when they let you in, you want to wave at them, right? Yeah. 
thank you. Haven't you had done something nice to somebody and they didn't say thank you? How did you feel? Angry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pull them over. <laughs> I'm going to get in front of them. I'm going to push them off the road. We need to have a conversation. No, it's just it's like they didn't even say thank you. You drive through McDonald's. You order stuff. You tell a young person behind the window, hey, thanks for, you know, taking my order. And they just stare at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I said, thank you. Yeah. So what? No, when I say thank you, you're supposed to say. You're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, just things like that. So uh, if you're 17 working at McDonald's, take some word from this. So Paul says, you know, it's easy to get weary doing good things because you get your feelings hurt when you let that person into traffic and they don't raise the hand up in the window and you see it. Don't you and your wife go, hey, I see the hand. We do in our family. Um, it's easy to get your feelings hurt. You know, I help them a whole bunch of times and we came my hour and need crickets because you're only human, right? You know, and the left hand's not supposed to know what the right hand's doing, but in the reality, your brain's connected to both hands. And, and you can remember, yeah, I remember all the times we've helped them and here we are, we're down and out and where are they? And so Paul says, don't get weary in doing good deeds. Okay, so good deeds, good works. That's what Christians should be known for before Jesus comes back, serving hard, not being a sapper off the body of Christ, serving hard uh, and doing good works. Like what? You don't know any? Good works like what? Okay, I'll help you. Prime the pump. You come home, your neighbor's trash cans are out in front of his house. You're there early. You see him. The Holy Spirit's telling you, walk across the street and put them away for him, right? Leaves, they're falling right now. Yeah, aren't they? You got opportunity to go help somebody, maybe a shut-in, maybe a widow, maybe a widower, whoever. Walk over and say, hey, I can help. I mean, you should always be thinking, what good work am I going to do today? So if you look back at your last week, what good works did you do? Because if anything our world needs to see is Jesus in action through you. That's a good work. That's a good work. Um, what's this week? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Any George Mason students coming over to your house for dinner? You know, I'm sure there are some international students, et cetera, that don't have a meal. I mean, that's a good work to invite them over. Why? Well, they're, they're foreigners. I don't know who they are. Bless the whole idea is reach out to them, build a bridge to them, love on them. Um, so anyway, uh, I'll leave it to you to pray, God, what is a good work you want me to do? And that's what you need to do. And, you know, God will bless you. And when you do that, verse 14, he says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man. Do, don't associate with him so that he may put, be put to shame and do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So he said, if you know anybody like this, like I've just talked about, uh, you need to kind of pull away from them. Uh, so uh, if they want to go to dinner and you usually go to dinner with them, you don't go to dinner. But you tell them why you're not going to dinner. You don't just let them wonder what happened. You tell them, you, I see how you're rolling as a Christian and it's the opposite of what Paul said. You need to kind of up your game. Um, they they uh, might send you emails, uh, you know, to go do this and that. And you just, you don't respond quickly. I mean, you just kind of pull, pull yourself away from them. Why? Paul says why. So that they can be put to shame. How's that work? They're alone and given more time to think about how I am walking in the Christian life and perhaps they will be convicted and they will confess their sin and come back to Christ and grow up in Jesus. And what's a maturing Christian look like? They serve hard. They work hard. That's what they're known for. Paul uh, finishes his letter with a benediction. Now may the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord of peace himself, continually grant you what? Peace. 
peace. Who doesn't want that? In every circumstance, the Lord be with you all. And then he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is, this is the distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way that I write because false people had been writing letters that weren't from Paul. He says, uh, let me tell you what else I want for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with you all. He said, three things I want for this church. Number one, that your lives would always know the peace of Christ, no matter what you face. That before Jesus comes back, there's a peace in your heart that doesn't ever go away. Number two, that no matter how hard the times are, you never lose a sense of the fact that Jesus is with you. He's always with you. And then number three, that regardless of what the devil might hurl at you, um, you, you always understand God's grace is amazing. You just sense it. You have a job assignment. It's to not be a sapper, but to be a server and to be always looking for opportunity uh, to serve people and to show them Christ. Let's stand. God, thank you. Uh, Paul goes out with this letter in an amazing way, very practical way, and we can relate to it, uh, help us to learn from it. Uh, thank you that you bless us for working hard. One day you'll reward us when we see you face to face for the effort we've given. Uh, and for those who need to uh, move onward and upward, pray that you would show them how to do that and, uh, and help our uh, body continually grow uh, in its service inside and outside this building for your great name in Jesus' name, amen.